Did you know it all starts with a thought? It's true, isn't it? Everything. Everything starts with a thought. The fact that you're sitting on a seat started with a thought. Someone had a thought, let's make a seat. And they made a seat. The fact that the lights work, some dude, was it Edison or someone, said, let's make a light bulb. He had a thought. I mean, he failed lots of times, but he had a thought and he kept working on that thought until it came to pass. Our country's just witnessed what has been described as the darkest day in our history. It started with a thought. That's where it started. It started with a simple thought. Some guy had this crazy thought that he never took control of and the manifestation of that thought was the massacre that we saw on Friday. The power of a thought, good or evil, is absolutely mind-blowing because everything starts with a thought. I love Christchurch. I love the people of Christchurch. I spent close to 20 years of my life in Christchurch. It's where I married my bride. It's where my children were born. I love it. It's, it's, it's a marvellous place, wonderful people. And when I, I was sitting, I don't, can't remember if I was in the grad, uh, Vision College graduation, and a few of our guys graduated on Friday, which was awesome. Aram graduated with his degree in music. Yeah, come on. Fantastic. And Sarah Single, I don't know if she's here tonight, she graduated with her degree in music. Fantastic. Jay graduated the School of Leadership. Fantastic. Anybody else? Where? Liam. Where's Liam? There. Wave. I can't see him. Somewhere. Oh, he's going to pick someone up. Liam. Liam graduated as well, School of Leadership. So it was fantastic. It was really good. Oh, yeah, really good. Anyway, I was sitting there and I suddenly got this news. Um, I probably shouldn't have been looking at my phone, but I was. And... Um, uh, you know, the news feed came up about what was going on in Christchurch. And my first response was, I just, I just wanted to cry. I felt the same way when um, the earthquakes happened. It's just something of my heart is wrapped up in that city. And as I saw the story unfolding, I could not believe, as no doubt you felt as well, what was taking place in our nation. But it started with a thought, which is crazy. Because you and I have thoughts well, most of us do, all day, every day. Actually, men have a special gift to be able to think of nothing. That's true. Because our wives ask, what are you thinking about? And I say, nothing. And she goes, you've got to be thinking about something. I'm like, no, nothing. <laughs> nothing. Nothing means nothing. There's nothing going on in there right now. But, but we have thousands of thoughts. And thoughts can develop and get legs. But what does the Bible teach us about thoughts? I'm actually speaking about temptation tonight because temptation starts in, the, in a thought. That's where temptation starts for all of us. But what does the Bible teach us about thoughts? Before I get to temptation, first it teaches us this. It says for us to take responsibility for our thoughts. In today's world, when we want to blame everybody else for everything, Taking responsibility for our own thoughts and our own behaviour is a big deal. The Bible tells us to take responsibility for our own thoughts. Right at the beginning of the Bible, actually, Genesis chapter 4, it says that um, Adam and Eve were quite friendly and she became pregnant. 
and said, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some fruit uh, to the Lord. It's an offering. Abel brought an offering of the fat portions of the land. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry, thought, very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Another translation, but you must take responsibility for it. Responsibility for your thoughts. Number one, uh, thoughts. The Bible teaches us to take responsibility for our thoughts. Number two, the Bible says, renew your mind. Renew your mind. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 tells us to renew our minds. The gospel. Number three, the Bible instructs us to take, to, to take hold or to capture every thought. Now, what happened in Christchurch was a rogue thought played out to its max. In fact, the Bible tells us that if we do not take hold of it and capture the thought when it is simply a thought, the end result, because of human nature, can end up as murder. And that's exactly what we've seen take place in Christchurch. The power of a thought is a tremendous thing. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5 says this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What's that say? That tells me that every thought I have is not a Christ thought. Every thought I have is not a God thought. You should be incredibly grateful that you're not living in here because I know what goes on in here. And believe me, some days it's hard work, really hard work. And I sort of fishing, wading through the stuff, looking for the God thoughts. No doubt you're a little bit the same. It's part of life. It's part of working through life. So we've got, what have we got there? We've got, uh, oh, take responsibility for our thoughts, renew our minds, take our thoughts captive, and number four, focus on the right things. Really important. Focus on, computer's not playing the game. Focus on the right things. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things as these. Think about these things. Let your thoughts be on these things. I love that. 
Let your thoughts be on these things. Because our thoughts can be on so many other things. Temptation, in its essence, is a thought. We're going to read from um, uh, the, the book of Luke, and I encourage you to go there, Luke chapter 4. But temptation essentially is a voice or a thought or an action that if it goes unchecked, if it is without restraint, causes a whole lot of issues. And um, let's read where Jesus was tempted in the book of Luke, chapter 4 and verse 2. Ah, uh, no, verse 1. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led into the, by the Spirit, capital S, into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was very hungry. 40 days he would have been. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it is all yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and carefully, and, and, sorry, to guard you carefully. They will lift you up with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. That last phrase is quite important. He left him to an opportune time. Testing, being tried, being tempted happens to all of us. It's part of life. It's part of the journey of life. It's part of the journey of faith. And when you think you've overcome and that, you, it'll happen again. The devil will come back in opportune time. He knows when you're hangry. That's the word, isn't it? Hangry. You're hungry, you're angry, you're tired, you're lonely, all those kind of... He knows when your defences are down, when you're weak, and he can just kind of screw you up a bit by planting a thought. Scholars are actually um, very on their opinion of this passage because I always imagined that you know, the devil standing beside Jesus in the desert saying, check out the stone. And then um, takes him up on top of the temple and says, jump off and all that kind of stuff. Many scholars actually say, look, the way it's written, this whole thing is playing out within Jesus' mind. And what's been written down is what was happening, the, the temptations that were happening within his being. Now, I think you can read it either way, but it doesn't make any difference. Both ways, temptation is temptation, it's happening. But if you see it for a moment uh, tonight, as it's actually Jesus is recording, and here what's, what's happening is being recorded, what was happening for Jesus as he was in the desert, as he was hungry, after 40 days, the devil was tempting him, placing thoughts in his mind. It's much easier for us to grasp because that's how the devil seems to work with us. 
He places a thought. He knows your weakness. He knows my weakness. He knows our vulnerabilities. He knows which buttons to push. Just places a thought. And then really, all he's got to do is step back and wait to see what we do with that thought, see if we let it develop into anything. The uh, Cambridge Dictionary says temptation is the wish to do or have something that you know you should not do or have. The wish to do or have something that you know you should not do or have. The Greek word in the scripture for it is parasio, and it simply means to be tried, to, be, to attempt to get something or do something, to push for a certain result. And I think we all know what that feels like. Whether we're pushing for legitimate things or not, we all know what it is to push for a result. It could be blatantly we're pushing or it could be a little bit manipulative. Uh, you know, we're just pushing, trying to get our way, whatever. But generally it's we want something, but our conscience is saying to us, no, nah, that's probably not right. You know, your conscience talks to you. And it says, no, nah, what you're wanting there, what you're doing there is not actually legitimate. It's not going to do you any good. It's not going to do people any good. You've got to catch that thought. And I think the more that we wrestle with our conscience, the more we wrestle rather than just saying no, the more likely we are to succumb to the temptation. There is a saying, a quote, I'm not sure who said it first, I've heard Jay say it, that delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And often we try to put things off while we wrestle with them. Oh, but if I can... When you're wrestling with temptation, all we're doing really, we can be honest, eh, tonight? It's all right, we can be honest, good. All we're really doing when we're wrestling with it is we're trying to find a way around it to still achieve the same result that we want to achieve. That's all we're doing. We're just trying to legitimise the illegitimate desire and go, well, my conscience is telling me, the Spirit of God is telling me that's not good for me. I shouldn't really be going in that direction. But at the end of the day, I actually want to go in that direction. Now, all I've got to do is try to work out a way that I can get round the obstacle without sinning, without disappointing God or without. That's all it is. Because temptation, Jesus, he's, he's, he's got it down. He doesn't justify anything. He just answers. It is written. It is written. He doesn't, oh, well, I need to. No, no, it is written. Just very, very quick. Just before I carry on in that vein, let me answer a question that you may be asking. And you may not be, but I shall answer it anyway. Does God tempt us? Does God tempt us? Do you think God's testing us? He's tempting us. Ooh. Is He tempting me to go down that way? Is He tempting to me to, 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 to eat that whole thing that I know I shouldn't be eating? Is He tempting me to speak to that person like that? Is He tempting me to look at that stuff I shouldn't be looking at just to try me, just to test me to see if I'm growing in my faith and I'm coming up to His standard now? Is He tempting me? The Bible answers it very clearly for us in the book of James. Chapter 1, 
verse 12. It says, If your faith remains strong, even while surrounded by life's difficulties, other translations say, even while surrounded by temptations, you will continue to experience the untold blessings of God. True happiness comes as you pass the test with faith and receive the victorious crown of life promised to every lover of God. When you are tempted, don't ever say, God is tempting me. There's the answer. Don't ever say God is tempting me for God is incapable of being tempted by evil and He is never the source of temptation. Instead, it is each person's own desires and thoughts that drag them into evil and lure them away into darkness. What that's saying right there is, don't look at anyone right now, but the person sitting beside you is one sick cookie. That's what it's saying. Because it's saying inside, we've all got stuff that is really screwed up. That is what it's saying. Look, it's, what, it's exactly what it said. Instead, it is each person's own desires and thoughts that drag them into evil and lure them away into darkness. It would have been so much easier if it had said, it is the stinking devil having a go at you. But it doesn't say that. It says it's in us because of the sinful nature we inherited. It is in us, which makes it even more important that we take every thought captive because there's stuff going on in me that is just not godlike. I'm sorry. Sorry to disappoint you. There are thoughts in me that are far from God honouring. I've got to take those things captive and put them to death now before they have a chance to manifest or to come and get a life of their own. Because if I take them now, kill them now, that's the end of it. It goes on there. Let me go back. Instead, it is each person's own desires and thoughts that drag them into evil and lure them away into darkness. Evil desires give birth to evil actions. And when sin is fully mature, it can murder you. So my friends, don't be fooled by your own desires. That's the book of James. Isn't that, that's, evil desires give birth to evil actions. So, I want Pastor Ray's telephone. The desire the desire stirring within me that he's got a good phone. It's not fair, in today's world, eh? It's not fair that he should have a good phone. If he's got a good phone, I should. Hey, I'm, no. It's an evil thoughts in that I cannot say. Um, and I'd just take his phone. But it all started with a thought. It all started with an evil desire that came from me for whatever reason. Whatever reason, it came out of me. So my friends, don't be fooled by your own desires. Isn't this powerful? And when sin or evil desires give birth to evil actions, and when sin is fully mature, it can murder you. It can murder you. This is just this is a little close to the bone, to be honest, with the events that have happened in the last week. But you can see very, very clearly that it starts with a thought. I, um, 
was in India, India a couple of weeks ago. And uh, when I was on the plane, I watched the film Bohemian Rhapsody. Anyone seen the film? Quite a lot of you. You evil people. Can't believe you'd watch that stuff. Yeah, what is it? Point the finger, you've got four pointing back at you. Um, or three at least. Um, so if you don't know, the, the film Bohemian, Bohemian Rhapsody is about the life of Freddie Mercury. Someone's tempted to leave right now and go and lock your car. I would go and lock your car because that's putting temptation in front of someone. And let's face it, the Bible just said you're evil. It didn't really take me in context. Whoa, I've lost my whole sermon now. Where's it gone? It's all right, it'll come back. I've just got to find it. Here we go. I watched the film Bohemian Rhapsody on the plane. And so the film is about Freddie Mercury, the lead singer of the band Queen, and about the band Queen. And um, I've always been intrigued by their music, and I've always known that he was a very interesting chap. And as I watched the film, my heart really went out to him. I felt incredible. I always watch films on the plane that seem to move me. You must be more emotional in the air or something. I don't know what it is, but, but I always seem to be more moved by a, plane, a, a, a movie I watch on a plane. But, but it did. It really stirred me. Um, you know, he, was a, he was a young man who just didn't fit. He, he, he couldn't really find his place in, in life. He was an incredibly gifted young man. He looked a little bit different and people would give him a bit of a hard time of that. The, the film didn't actually flatter him. But he was a guy that didn't really fit and he just had these high occasions. As life went on, he lived to perform. He was, there's no doubt, he was designed to lead the world to sing. On God's design board, I reckon that was the brief for Eddie Mercury. Let's create a dude that can lead the world to sing. And that's what he did. Misdirected, yes, but that's what he did. He just, he couldn't really fit. And then he says it himself, even in that movie, that he just went from, he had kind of two highs. One was when he was with the band, the other one when he was on stage. Other than that, he hated his life. He had no sense of identity. He didn't know where he belonged. He didn't like himself at all. So he did whatever he had to do to just get through. And you see him wrestling in this film with his sexuality. And you can see that it's a real temptation for him. You can literally see it in the, the, the act is very, very good, that he's, he's wrestling with the whole idea of who he is and his sexuality. And, and then because it's a thought that he doesn't take captive and because he has no sense of identity, and because he is lost, he starts to drift down this road that's inappropriate. And he starts to go down this road that is, is inappropriate. And he lived a life, you know, literally sex, drugs and rock and roll um, to the extreme. And he went down this, uh, this, this, down a rabbit hole, really, down a rabbit hole of depravity. And as I saw that in the film, my heart just went out to the guy and I thought, this lifestyle is the fruit of no identity. This lifestyle is the fruit of a rogue thought that had no God 
to attach itself to, no truth to attach itself to. And it ended up in this incredible depravity. I think temptation's exactly the same. The rogue thought comes. And if we haven't got our identity secured in God, and if we don't take that thought captive, it takes on a life of its own. And that life will murder you, the Bible says. It takes you to a place of depravity. None of us are immune to that. None of us. But by God's grace in my life, I was well on that journey to depravity. But by God's grace, He saw fit to save me. But by God's grace, did He get me in the nick of time. But by God's grace, did He give me hope that I could cling on to. Did He speak into me and say, I've got a plan and a purpose for your life. Is He speaking to you saying He's got a plan and a purpose for your lives. He puts hope into us. Because it's a sense, you know, I don't know if you've noticed, but it's really interesting as we've been planning some of the content for our gatherings on Sundays this year, talking about wherever, whenever, be like Jesus. One thing we've not talked about is identity in God. But just about every week, our identity in Christ has come up. It's a really big rock. And I think God's making a point. I really do. That I think he's making a point that unless our identity is in him, you know, if, you, if we can't stand for him, we'll fall for anything. If our identity's got to be secure in God. We take captive every thought. But what do you do with that thought if your identity is not in Christ and you've not got truth as your plumb line? What do you do with it? Adam and Eve failed. They allowed the thought to develop, didn't they? Oh, God, no, God's just not. He's suppressing you. He's making life hard for you. He knows that if you eat that fruit, you'll be like him. Just a thought that the devil planted. Just a thought that grew. And now look at the dilemma we're in. Because of sin. Well, actually, we're not in the dilemma anymore because Jesus died on the cross. But there was a dilemma. Sin. Just a thought. Tempting thoughts lead to terrible actions. And you know, I can't do it on my own, but in Him. In Him. In Him. I can take hold of the thoughts. I can take captive the thoughts. I can just pull myself back into line and say, hey, hang on a second. You're a son of God. A son of God does not talk like that. A son of God does not act like that. Well, I want to right now. Yeah, that's okay. You might want to, but you're a son of God and sons of God don't talk like that. Okay, okay. You win. I submit. Three keys. Number one, you've got to know the voices. You've got to know the voices. Jesus knew it was the devil talking. There are only three voices that are going to be talking unless you've got multiple personalities. There are only going to be three voices. It's going to be you, the devil, or the Lord. Yes? 
You, the devil, or the Lord. You've got to learn what voice is what. Sometimes the devil sounds like God. Not often. But often the devil sounds like you. Often he sounds like you. And he's a bit sneaky. He tries to say things and construct things in the way that you would think, in a way that's familiar to you, in a way that you go, oh, that's a good idea. But we've got to learn the devil the difference between the devil's voice, your own voice, and God's voice. The devil is never going to entice you to do anything that's going to lift up the name of Jesus. This is the last thing he wants. The devil's got one purpose in mind, and that is to kill, steal, and destroy your life. And even if he paints a rosy picture, that is all he's looking for, to kill, steal, and destroy your life. We've got to learn the three. It's a bit of a trial and error thing. But I make it simple, and I take the fear out of it for myself. I say, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. My heart is to do what Jesus wants me to do. So I'm going to say right up front, I've got a pretty good chance that I'm going to hear God's voice. And I practice that. And, and sometimes the voice, my own voice, because my motives are towards God, can be quite good. In fact, most of the time, my own voice and motives are quite good. It's just those other times. But most of the time, they're quite good. And sometimes it's very easy to discern the, the devil's voice and just go, you know, that does not sound like God. That does not uplift God. That is not according to the principles in the Scripture. That, that is the devil that's having a go at me right now. Easy. On your way, sunshine. And then the next two might be slightly harder. And sometimes that's where people get really confused. Well, what if it's not the voice of God I'm hearing? Well, my heart's for God. I love Jesus with all of my being. I want to serve Him with all of my heart. What I'm thinking of, what I'm planning of lines up with Scripture. Well, I've got a pretty good chance that God will be pleased with it. I'm just going to go for it. And Lord, if I'm wrong, make it evident really quick. And then often we need to talk to someone around us, get some wisdom on the subject. That's really good. That's really important. Get some wisdom. If you're too scared to talk to someone about it, it's probably not a God thing. Second thought, know who you are. First thought, know the voices. Second thought, know who you are. You see, just before Jesus went into the wilderness, it says Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. What happened right before this in the Scripture? Does anybody know? He was baptised. And what happened when he was baptised? That's right. Dove came out of heaven down onto his head, landed on his shoulder, whatever it did, and the voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I am well pleased. Jesus knew exactly who he was. He, there's no question. He knows he's the son, the son of God. He gets whisked off into the, into the desert by the spirit, capital S, of God to be alone. And the devil takes advantage of him there. If, you, if you're on a mountaintop experience with God, if you've just been baptised or about to be baptised or whatever, watch out for the devil trying to sneak in on God's action and have a go at you because he likes to do that. But the thing here is Jesus knows exactly who he is. 
He doesn't have to go, oh, hang on, hang on. I'm freaking out here. The devil's having a go at me. Ah, what did he say again? Who am I? What am I about? Where am I going? What's my name again? No, no. He knows who he is. He's the son of God. He is the son of God. No question. You are a son. You are a daughter of the most high God. Know that. Know that. Just settle it. Know it. Know it. The devil has a crack at you. Hey, no, hang on, hang on. You got no right for that. I am a son. I'm a daughter of the most high God. I have authority over you on your way. On your way. Don't entertain it. Three, know the Word of God. The Word of God is the most powerful tool because it is supernatural. It is not a natural thing. It is a, oh, but they're just words on the page. No, no, they're not just words on the page. They are words that have been breathed by God. They, they carry the life of God in the words. The way he's written it, how does that work? I haven't got a clue how that works, but I know it's true. I experience it in my life. It's the power of the word that God that transforms my life. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6 quickly. Verse 10. Are you all going there quickly? I can't even hear your hands touching your screens. This is the end of Ephesians. So we didn't learn this when we did uh, the series a little while ago on the book of Ephesians because I never got this far. Here we go. Verse 10 of chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers, it's against authorities, it's against the powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God. So when the day of evil comes, maybe we could say when the day of temptation comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, you're still standing. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The Word of God is truth. And with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up your shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take up your shield of faith that you can put out those tempting thoughts with because you know truth. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The most offensive weapon in the soldier's armour. Actually, all of that armour can be used in some way, shape or form for offence. But the most offensive weapon there is the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. It is so important that we know the Bible. So important that we read the Bible. You know when we say, need to read the Bible? It's not just words. Read the Bible because there's nothing else to read. It's because the very life and power and truth of God is contained in the Word of God. It strengthens us. It feeds us. What's about uh, this? You know, man will not be fed by bread alone. But the very Word 
that proceeds from the mouth of God, the Word of God, the Bible. The Bible. I know people that, actually Pastor Ray's really, really good at this, uh, that can just like memory verses with the book, the chapter and the Scripture. They just pop them out. I personally, I'm not good at it at all. I know the Word. I can quote the Word to you. Just don't ask me where it's found. I need to take some time to find it. But I know it. And we're all wired different. The thing is that you know it, that it's in you. It's not going to matter too much if I can't remember it was in Ephesians chapter 6. But when I say, I am carrying the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, that is direct quote of Scripture. That carries power. The devil goes, oh, flip, I'm not going to fight him. I'll go find an easier person who doesn't know that. I'll go find an easier person who doesn't know their identities rooted in me. I'll go and find an easier person that's not going to be so, so difficult to deal with. Someone who doesn't know the voices. I want to encourage you that temptation's not something that God's put there to trip you up. Temptation is a part of life because we're not quite right. But God has given us everything we need to come over and above temptation. Everything. He has given us the Word of God. He makes it very, very clear who, whose we are. And we've just got to appropriate that in our lives. I would like to think that God's rigged the whole deal so that I'll win. I'd like to think that He's rigged the whole deal so that you'll win. Yeah, I know these things are going to come up in their lives. I know this is going to happen. I know that, yeah, but I've given them this tool. I've given them the Word of God. They know who they are in me. They're part of a wider family, the body of Christ. I, everything is in place so that they can overcome every obstacle. Everything is in place so that they can win. They know the truth. I haven't left them without the truth. It's in the Word of God. They know if they stand on the truth, it might not be easy, but at the end of the day, they will overcome. God says, I've done it. You're going to win. You just run my way. You'll win. You know, you'll win. I like this quote and I think, I think it was actually Tim Brown that said it. I don't know where he got it. It might have come from him. I should give him credit. He said, tests and temptations is like the wind in the trees. I like that. If you're well-rooted, if you're well-rooted in Christ, if your identity is in Christ, if you know the Word of God, the wind will blow. And the wind will blow. And the wind will blow. And your leaves will rustle a little. If it blows hard enough, a branch might break off. But your tree will not uproot. And the wind will come and the wind will go. But if you're not rooted in Christ, if you don't know who you are, if your identity is not established in Christ, if you do not know the Word of God, if you have not yet worked out the voices in our heads, the wind will blow and oh my goodness, it could be a ride and a half. Because we've all seen big trees that aren't well rooted and when the wind comes, down they go. But Jesus says we are like, the Bible says we are like a tree that is planted by a river. Its roots go down deep and solid. 
the Bible says in the book of Matthew that we're to be like the man who built his house on the firm foundation. And when the wind comes and the storms come and everything comes against us, the house stands firm. Because we know who we are in Christ. We know the Word of God. We know the voices. It all starts, of course, when we say yes to Jesus. That's where it starts. You and I are designed to walk with Him. We are designed to walk in relationship with Jesus. That's the way He made us. I was thinking about it the other day and I said, I think I was making a video clip and I, I said, why don't we breathe water as humans? Like I said, it's an interesting place in here. Why don't we breathe water? Because God didn't make us that way. It's not that difficult to answer. He made us to breathe air. He made us to walk in relationship with Him. He made us to do life with Him. Does that mean you're perfect? No. Does it mean you'll never make a mistake? No. Does it mean life will be easy and a bed of roses? No. Does it mean bad stuff happens to good people? Yes. All those things, but we're designed to walk with Him, not without Him. My greatest desire is that every person in this place is walking with Him. And as we come to a close tonight, I want to give opportunity for you to walk with Him. I don't know if you're all actively walking with Jesus. If you've invited Him into your world, Romans chapter 10 says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that He was raised from the grave on the third day, you will be saved, the Bible says. What's that word saved mean? It means you will be connected in relationship with God, not only for this life, but for all eternity. But here's the crazy thing about God. I can never quite work it out. He goes, well, I can actually. He just trusts us so much. But He goes, but I'll let you choose. You can choose what you want to do with that. You choose me. You've chosen me for all eternity. You don't want anything to do with me in this lifetime? Well, that's got consequences for eternity too. He says, you choose. My prayer is that we choose Him. My prayer is in this crazy world we're living in, that we're holding on to a rock named Jesus, that we're holding on to truth named Jesus, that we're holding on to love named Jesus, that we're holding on to mercy named Jesus, that we're holding on to grace named Jesus, that we're holding on to peace named Jesus. Because that's the only way we're going to get this through this thing intact and out the other side into eternity that we can look forward to.